0: Hi, this is Steve Engelhart, and you're listening to the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast.
1: Greetings, Cap fans. It is Rick Verbanis, your host of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast, and this is episode 114. And as always, I am joined by the best gosh darn co-host out there, and that is Mr. Bob Lucius. Oh, Bob. Hey, Daddy O, what's shaking?
0: <laughs> wow. Uh, I, I don't know what to say to that, Rick. Um, <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's another great day, Rick. Um, you know, wh- I'm doing what I love. You know, how, how could I not be doing great? I'm doing what I love, doing a podcast with you. How are you doing?
1: Not so good, Bob. Early today, I was with my dolly at the Pala, minding my own. It was a real Antsville, you know, and some greaser was giving me the eye. He was a real badass. So I said, hey, why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. And he came over and he gave me a knuckle sandwich and knocked my peepers off. Now I have a real shiner
0: and I got to wear shades. (laughs) (laughs) I feel as if we've gone through uh, a time warp again.
1: We did, Bob. Yeah. We did yes. Welcome to the 1950s, Daddy O.
0: Oh, okay. Okay, now it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All
1: yeah, because right. you know, you know what we're covering today. We're covering Captain America from the 1950s, which was an idea that you had, and uh, I, I think it was a great idea because we haven't, we haven't covered that yet. It's an important part of of Cap's uh, history.
0: Right. I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of interest in Golden Age Cap. Right. I mean, everybody knows about Golden Age Cap. Um, But, you know, there was this relaunch in the 50s and not I I would hazard to say that maybe not a lot of folks differentiate between the Captain America comic books from the 1950s and the ones that came before the 1940s. And perhaps the ones, you know, we all know about the Silver Age and Avengers 4, but that period in the 50s has its own distinct flavor. And I thought it would be fun and interesting for maybe our listeners to learn a little bit more about it.
1: I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I agree, you know, as far as it, it is a, a a special part of uh, of cap's mythos, so to speak, and we haven't explored it. And thank you for bringing it up and and uh, and really, really take a charge on this show. You 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 came through. You have uh, some some great notes uh, to talk about, and uh, you know, I, I can't I can't wait to get into it. But before we do, let's get in to a new review for Apple Podcasts.
0: I'm so excited.
1: Well, I'm sorry to put you down, Bob. We we don't have any. Oh no. So I, I don't I don't know, Bob. The you know, we we put we put the challenge out there, right? Like if you go on Apple and you leave a review and then say what character you want me to do the voice in, I will do it. Uh-huh.
0: I haven't seen any yet. Oh my God. You know, the, the feeling of letdown I just had. I haven't felt that. I haven't experienced <laughs> that since the first five girls I asked to the prom senior uh, year. Yeah. I haven't felt that feeling of letdown and disappointment.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Well, which senior year?
0: Uh a senior in high school. Yeah. yeah but what, which <laughs> <senior year? laughs> True enough. Good for good. Well played.
1: <laughs> uh yeah. Anyway. Yeah. so listen, folks, please go on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review and if you uh you you could put in there which captain america character voice you want me to read it in and i will read it on the air right
0: yes yes please do that because you know how much i'm looking forward to this
1: yeah uh and you know what else is coming up bob our two-year anniversary here on the show
0: you've made me a happy man
1: it's hard to believe right
0: yeah yeah i know two years Right. So
1: so so listeners come back next episode where we will be doing a two-year anniversary show. Um we have we have uh listeners calling in and the theme of the show is what is your dream Captain America gift? If you could have any Captain America gift, what would it be? And so uh it'll be interesting to kind of to kind of go through those. Plus, Bob, I gotta say, hopefully by then uh santa may be dropping a little something off at your door so that way you can open it on air like we did last
0: oh my goodness i love santa yeah he's a jolly fellow
1: (laughs) (laughs) i think you'll like it i really am very excited for you to see this all right so uh let's get into the 1950s captain america so many Many of our listeners and, and members of the Captain America comic book Facebook group know that Cap was created in 1941. And, of course, he had his own title series through throughout World War II and, and the years that followed. Uh, and many also know that Cap also appeared in several other timely comics uh, as well, including All Winners, All Select, USA Comics, and Marvel Mystery Comics. Uh, and he also made cameo appearances in titles like Young Allies and, and Kid Comics, too.
0: That's crazy, right? I mean, when we think about Cap, we think, well, he had Captain America Comics. And maybe some folks know about those other titles like USA Comics or you know All Winners. Um, but Cap was in a lot of different books, and sometimes, you know, as as you said, just a cameo, like in Young Allies, he'd show up at the end and you know say, "Good job, young men," you know. <laughs> um, but he was super popular, of course, and as was Human Torch and, uh, and Namor, the Submariner. But but you know, sadly, Rick, by the end of the 1940s, all those titles had been canceled. I mean, if you think about it, the three main Golden Age heroes of Timely, Captain America. Human Torch, no more. All gone, right? So, um, you know, they were all replaced at some point by uh, particularly like after 1946, 1947, by romance and love uh, oriented comics. This was even before Westerns became popular for for Timely and eventually Atlas, but they were all replaced by love comics and romance.
1: And, And horror too, right?
0: Well, eventually horror, but it started off with a shift to romance and then Uh, Westerns, and then horror became big. But but those were over the, you know, toward the end of the 1940s. So yeah, crazy. So the last issue of Human Torch hit the stands in December 1948 and replaced by Love Tales number 36. And then Submariner was canceled and replaced by Best Love. So you can see like a shift in people's tastes uh, in the late 1940s. And of course, you know, we know what happened with uh, Marvel mystery comics, which was the flagship. I mean, it was almost 10 years old at this point, that title. And that ended in February, 1949. So, and, and that last issue, of course had a, had a captain America story. in
1: Yeah. So caps cap last appeared in, it was July of 1949 in captain America's weird tales, number 74, uh, and talk about weird, right? The title of the book had been renamed after the March issue of Captain America Comics seventy-three, and he, talk about weird. There was only one Cap story featured in issue seventy-four. Uh, the rest of the stories were horror tales, and then issue seventy-five didn't even have a Cap story, even though you know Cap Cap was in the title of the book. So that was the last, and then the the series got the axe in November.
0: Right. Now, I mean, I don't know, um, you know, a lot of folks maybe haven't read that Captain America, uh, Weird Tales 74. It's it's a really an odd book. We'll talk about it a little bit later and what the story was about. But but the, but the point is, by like 1950. Right. It seemed as if nobody wanted to read about superheroes anymore.
1: Yeah. So the Golden Age history of Cap is is fairly well known to our listeners. Um, however, you know, may not be as familiar with the brief run of Cap comic appearances in the 1950s, uh, which some refer to it as the Atomic Age of comics, which was right between the Golden and the Silver Ages. In fact, the Atomic Age saw the revival of all three of Timely Comics' most successful Golden Age heroes that you mentioned, right? The Human Torch, Submariner, and of course, our favorite, Cap, and Bucky.
0: Right now, you know, I like that term atomic age, right? Because you know, I, I know it's not like widely used. Um, you know, a lot of folks still refer to the nineteen fifties and the nineteen forties both as as the golden age, right? to be succeeded by the Silver Age. But I think that makes sense to to carve out that time period as the Atomic Age. And I know some folks who write about comics do that. Uh, It just seems to make sense based on everything that was going on at the time, and and really a lot of the themes in the comics at that point. But I think the important point is that by late 1953, interest in superheroes was again in the air. So um, you know, the legendary Roy Thomas, who I hope we're gonna get on the show at some point, Suggested that Martin Goodman, who at that time was the publisher of Atlas, just as he was the publisher of its predecessor, Timely Comics, um, smelled sort of what the possibilities were in the air. And, and why was that? Rick? Well, it's because on TV was The Adventures of Superman. It was a huge hit. Right. It started in September 1952, and apparently it was responsible for a bump not only in the sales of DC Superman comics at the time, but it led to uh, some new titles for DC that were also popular, such as you know the DC title about uh, Jimmy Olsen. So, you know, there was this possibility that uh, maybe superheroes were becoming popular again and there was some money to be made. And so Goodman ordered Stan Lee, who was the editor at the time, to reintroduce some of Time Lee's golden age superheroes that had been mothballed now for a few years. So along with the Human Torch and Namor the Submariner, Captain America appeared in a title called Young Men beginning with issue 24. Now that hit the rack in August 1953 with a cover date of December and each of these issues Young Men 24 and the subsequent issues, featured three stories. So there was one for Human Torch, one for Namor, and and one for uh, Captain America. So in Cap's relaunch story, it was called Back from the Dead. And the interesting thing about each of those three stories for each of the three golden age heroes is they tried to explain where these heroes had been in the intervening years. So in Back from the Dead, Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes are living their post-war lives at the Lee School, which is a private secondary school in New York City, where Steve is a teacher and Bucky is a student, presumably a, a fairly uh, old student uh, at this point.
1: Yeah, so uh, so Bucky gets brought back in this revival in the 1950s too, which is kind of cool because you know he was he was shot uh, in the gut by that villain uh, Lavender. Back in Captain America Comics number 66, uh, which came back, you know, all the way back in, in March of 1948. Um, and then he was replaced as Cap Psychic uh, by Betsy Ross, the, uh, who was also known as Golden Girl.
0: Yeah, right. Exactly right. So setting aside all the retcons, which turned the Golden Age Bucky into Fred Davis and uh, and, of course, the um, the atomic age, Bucky and the Jack Monroe. We'll talk about those later and and the retcons that turned the golden age Captain America, at least the latter one into Jeff Mace. The last time we saw Bucky in any form was way back in Captain America. Seventy one from December 1948, when he briefly returned to help Cap fight the trickster.
1: Yeah. And then Cap and Bucky in these 1950 stories. We we later find out we're actually William Burnside and Jack Monroe, thanks to Steve Englehart's retconning. Um, and he did that in in Captain America 156, um, which, by the way, if anybody wants to check out, we did we did do that uh, retcon story. Uh, we covered it back way back in episode six. Um, and then also really cool. Uh, we had the writer Steve Englehart um, on the show to talk about it. Um, so you, I, I highly recommend people check out episode 52 as well.
0: Yeah, that was a great episode. I love that. interview. that was, I think, one of our better interviews, Rick. All, all of them are stellar. But that one really piqued my interest because, again, I've always been interested in the 1950s cap stories. And Englehart had such a big role in helping flesh out that history a little bit more. But, but again, you are correct in everything that you said. Um, but, you know, as far as the writers and the artists were concerned at the time, Steve Rogers was still Captain America and Bucky Barnes was who he said he was, right? So the Avengers number four retcon was still a decade off. So let's play along with these stories as they would have been seen and read at the time. So here's here's Steve and Bucky, right? They're no longer in the army and they're now affiliated with the Lee School. This isn't the first time that we see the Lee School, right? It appears in many Captain America stories even back in the 1940s. In fact, Cap and Bucky's affiliation with the Lee School go back to Captain America Comics number 62, released way back in February 1947. Even back then, Steve was a teacher uh, and he was there along with Betsy Ross, who was a teacher as well. And Bucky (laughs) was still a student. So he's been a student at the Lee School for an awfully long time. So the Lee School was featured. It's kind of
1: like your senior year
0: yeah he's kind of like my senior <laughs> year he's a lifelong learner rick i think something we can all aspire to be right uh-huh. so the lee school was featured in a lot of captain america stories toward the end uh as well as uh in in both the captain america comics title but also in the marvel mystery comics appearances Question. so yeah
1: do you, do you think the lee school was named after stanley I know
0: I mean, he, big, wasn't, he wasn't he yeah. was
1: involved with the series back in captain america comics by that time
0: you know it's a good it's a good question rick i I, you know i i from my recollection it was never adequately explained you know who the lee school was named after i mean but that makes sense now that you now that you mention it i I have to wonder if maybe it was yeah that's a tribute right yeah yeah that's cool Well, anyway in any case in young men 24 we see steve and bucky riding in a car when by chance they hear a radio announcement that the Red Skull is attacking the United Nations.
1: But it wasn't the Red Skull because wasn't he stuck in suspended animation under the collapsed Berlin bunker? Um, Because that's what we saw in Tales of Suspense number 79. And that came out, uh, that was back in like July of 1966. In fact, Bob, we covered that um, we covered that story, uh, Tales of Suspense 79, 80, and eighty one, uh, back in episode twelve. If anybody wants to check that out,
0: that is correct. Again, Rick, that's a great point. Right? We we know something happened to the Red Skull because we read about it in Tales of Suspense, uh, Tales of Suspense seventy nine, and we also saw, uh, as we talked about earlier, this Captain America Weird Tales seventy four. Um, now, I'm sure you've probably read that story, but for our listeners, uh, what's that one about? Well, Red Skull's in hell, right? He's languishing in hell. And, and of course, what does the Red Skull do when he's in hell? Is he suffering? No, he's brooding. His suffering is brooding about the fact that Captain America is still alive and he's stuck in hell. So he finds a way to enter Steve Rogers or Captain America's name, because course, he, uh, he, he refers to him as Captain America, in the Great Ledger, which is the book that the Angel of Death uses to go snatch people from the living and bring them down to hell. So Captain America finds himself brought down to hell uh, erroneously because of uh, the machinations of the Red Skull. And the two of them have to battle it out to determine who's going to win and be returned to the living. Now, it's a a horror story, right? Because it takes place in hell, hence the Captain America's weird tales. But that was the last appearance in the Golden Age of the Red Skull. So, and as you know, Rick, and we find out much later, thanks to Steve Engelhardt's retcon in Captain America 155, that this isn't Johann Schmidt at all, but rather Albert Malik, who is a Soviet agent pretending to be the Red Skull because the Red Skull has been off the board for a while. So he's simply taken on the persona.
1: And I guess we should have known something was amiss because, you know, he had that dashing red cape uh, that Red Skull was wearing in this appearance. And, you know. If I recall, that retcon story about Albert Malek is told in more detail uh, in the, the Captain America Annual 13, which came out in 1993.
0: Yeah, that was a great story, too, Rick. But anyway, I'm not sure what was up with the cape. But anyway, Cap and Bucky go no on. capes!
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was really a very beautiful. It's more like a boat cloak. Uh, I think, but uh, with the high collar it's very fashionable at the time, I guess. But anyway, but anyway, Captain Bucky, they go on and they defeat the Red Skull and and save the United Nation. And here we have the relaunch of our heroes for uh, an entire new generation of readers. So what exactly did that
1: relaunch look like?
0: Well, I mean, after the Young Men 24 story Back from the Dead, Captain America and Bucky go on to appear in four more issues of Young Men. However, starting with issue twenty-seven, they were no longer. Uh, Steve was no longer a professor at the Lee School, and Bucky was no longer a student. They're back in the army, living on uh, an army base with their old secret identities intact. So, in issue twenty-five, we have a story called "Top Secret." In issue twenty-six, we have a story: Captain America turns traitor. What? No. Yeah, I know it's a it's a real page turner. In, in issue twenty-seven, we have once again the return of the Red Skull, where he is seemingly dispatched at the end by Stephen Bucky. And in issue 28 of Young Men, we have the cargo of death. When you say dispatched, what do you mean? I meant uh, seemingly killed. No. Cap killed him? Well, I think it was one of those, you know, in the course of uh, ending the plot, you know, the Mm. Red Skull was seemingly dispatched. But uh, yeah, we know that wasn't the case. So,
1: and the other thing too is all these cap stories, uh, the the creators for that. So we had Don Rico as the writer, and John Rametta Senior for
0: for the art. Right now, I think there's some dispute about who wrote the stories, whether it was Don or whether it was Stan Lee. Uh, Marvel fandom credits uh, Don Rico, but you know there's some there's some authors out there who who claim that Stan Lee wrote these. So, but we do know for sure that John Remeda uh, Senior did the lion's share uh, with with a couple of exceptions uh, for the art. So yeah, except, and in fact, one of the big exceptions is that uh, uh, opening splash page in Back from the Dead in Young Men 24. So apparently uh, John Romita, Sr. (laughs) uh, did a version of a splash page. And that was, uh, that apparently didn't pass the muster with Stan Lee. And so Mort Lawrence was brought in to do a replacement. Now, if you get the, um, there's a, there's a trade pub called decades, 1950s, mm-hmm. Marvel decades, 1950s, where they reprint all these 1950s cap stories. There's some uh, reprinted original art in there. And one of the things that is in there is the original Ramita splash page. So, you know, in addition to the, uh, to the five, uh, appearances in those five issues of of young men, Captain America, along with the Human Torch in the Submariner, also appeared in the Atlas title Men's Adventures, starting with issue 27. So there was a story called The Girl Who Was Afraid in issue 27. That came out in January 1954. And then in the the last issue of Men's Adventures, uh, issue number 28, there was a story called Kill Captain America, which came out in March 1954.
1: And then Rico and Romita continued as the main creative team for the cap stories in these books. I mean, yeah. uh, other with the occasional contribution by Morton Lawrence.
0: Right. Yeah, they did.
1: So I, I read in a John Romita interview in Roy Thomas's alter ego magazine, uh, that Ramita was trying really hard to emulate Jack Kirby's style in these books. He was, he was merging it with a bit of Milton Caniff, the artist behind Terry and the Pirates and and Steve Canyon cartoon strips from the 30s, 40s, and
0: 50s. Well, right, yeah. And and the art, I I mean, I think, you know, to my own personal aesthetics, looks pretty good in these these different uh, titles. You know, the thing is, Rick, I think a lot of folks, you know, Golden Age art, can be kind of hit or miss, right? I mean, some of yeah. it can be good, some of it, you know, a little a little wonky. But you know, I I think the stuff from at least from Romita's work in, in these titles uh, is is pretty 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 sharp.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it, it's one of those things. Again, again, agree on hit and miss. The I, I think they're underneath a lot of deadlines, right? And so they're just pumping these things out and weren't weren't doing their finest work. So. You know, Ramita fans from, let's just say, Amazing Spider-Man would look at this and be like, "They don't even look the same, right?" They don't, right? Because his Mm -hmm. art really did uh, evolve over the years. Um, So, uh, yeah, you know, it was, it was, it was good for that time period, Mm -hmm. uh, except for Cap's shield. I mean, I, I, what the heck happened there?
0: Yeah, I'm not surprised uh, that you notice that, Rick. Um, particularly since you know so many of us are uh, really persnickety, right, when it comes to shields uh, and Cap Shield in particular. So, but according to Roy Thomas, uh, Romita was was overwhelmed with with the deadlines. I mean, consider it, he was doing Young Men and then Men's Adventures and and then eventually, as we'll talk about, uh, a Cap Solo title, and they were all basically on top of each other. So even though the stories were short, there were three, <laughs> you know, there was a lot going on.
1: Can we, can we rephrase? Can we just choose some new ways of, I mean, you're like, he was doing young men. They're all <laughs> on top of each other. I mean, come on, Bob. You, can you just choose your language a little bit better here? It's just, I don't this is an
0: all ages show. It would be taken out of context. Yeah, so he's doing... <laughs>
1: Yeah, someone's going oh, to oh, just do the cl- you know, clip of this and totally take it out of context. This is going to be get, gonna somewhere get... in, in Tokyo right now. They, they, right. They're, they're yeah. playing this.
0: I'm going to get sued by uh, <laughs> Romita's uh, family for this. And uh, yeah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> but anyway, so apparently Romita convinced Stan Lee to let him dispense with the concentric circles. We haven't drawn all those. So we've heard this from other authors that... I mean, other artists. That this is one of the one of the most complicated things to do, right? In drawing Captain America, is drawing those circles all yep. the time, right? And so um, he, he he convinced Stan to let him dispense with that, so that he could he keep to the deadlines. And that resulted in some very ill-defined uh, coloring on on shields, and very yep. uh, you know they're not exactly consistent from panel to panel, right? So in any case, it's it's not clear, Rick, how how well sales really went for any of these titles, right? But by January 1954, Goodman and Atlas decided to, to go big uh, and also relaunched solo titles, uh, not just for Captain America, but for Human Torch and for Submarina as well. So Cap series picked up. Uh, where Weird Tales, uh, Captain America Weird Tales 75 left off. So in January 1954, Captain America number 76 hit the racks with the tagline, Captain America, Commie Smasher. And each issue uh, of the book featured three distinct Cap stories with a bonus human torch story. Now, oddly enough, uh, I find this personally offensive that the Human Torch series didn't repay the favor. So uh, any bonus tales in the Human Torch uh, solo title typically uh, featured Namor uh, rather than a Cap story, which I think is, uh, which is, is, uh, you know, offensive. Unfortunately, this new solo title for Cap only lasted three issues before it too was canceled again with the release of Captain America 78 in May. And the Human Torch series also lasted 3 issues, but Namor's series went on for I think 10 issues. So, but it was also gone, you know, within a year.
1: So, it it sounds like the public wasn't ready yet for, you know, the resurgence of superhero as as Goodman thought.
0: Yeah, I think that was definitely part of it, Rick, but but I think there might have been other editorial decisions that that played a role in the failure of of these books to gain much traction. So, you know, on one hand, as readers and collectors and fans of Captain America, we should be thrilled that um, those three issues of Captain America, Captain America Commie Smasher 76 and 78, as well as um, the other stories from young men and men's adventure. I mean, that gave us a total of 16 cap stories in really less than a year. I mean, so and that's the grand total for all of the 1950s. So that's something you know to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, uh, and this is, I, I think maybe where the editorial decisions were a little off for the time. Every single one of those cap stories somehow involved communists to some extent, either as criminal masterminds, as spies, agent provocateurs, or saboteurs. So apparently Martin Goodman and Stan Lee thought it made creative sense for communists to become essentially the new Nazis. And it might have been an understandable gamble at the time, considering the country really was in the middle of what most people consider the second Red Scare, the first having occurred after World War One.
1: Right. So all the congressional hearings and the, the spy trials like Alger Hiss and the Rosenbergs.
0: Yeah, right. Absolutely. Since the end of World War II. You know, there was a growing concern in the United States about the presence of communist agents and sympathizers infiltrating every aspect of American life. I mean, late 1940s, right? We had the fall of China, right? The Kuomintang, Chiang Kai-shek had to flee to Taiwan and the communist Chinese uh, took over, right? We had the Berlin uh, blockade and, and the partition of East Germany. We... We had uh, the Korean War took place from 1950 to 1953. We had all these scandals in the United States over the potential communist spies. And so, yeah, it was it was woven into American culture at the time. I mean, the communists were everywhere with their fingers in everything, right? Just plotting and planning for the downfall of the United States and its integration into a global communist empire. And certainly the Soviets were spying on us just as we were spying on them. So at least to some degree, it made sense to cast the communists as the all-purpose villains.
1: Yeah, but maybe maybe it was a little too overdone.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that is a big part of why maybe Captain America um, didn't really gain the traction. I think it was overdone. I mean, by by 1954, the Red Scare was starting to, to die down. I mean, the heyday was really... 1949 to to 1953 right this is where they had uh, you probably remember the stories in the house committee on un-american affairs where they brought all the hollywood people in and they accused each other of being communist and some didn't uh, a lot of people lost their careers. You know, mm-hmm. some made their careers, like Ronald Reagan, off 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 those uh, off those committees. There was McCarthy, of course, in the uh, in the on the Senate side, and claiming to have all these lists of communist agents in the Department of State. But by 1954, Rick. Um, they had really overreached. Right. At this point, McCarthy was starting to investigate uh, the Eisenhower administration. He was starting to investigate the U.S. Army and making accusations about the army. And people were starting to, to get really tired of the whole banging the drum about communists everywhere. And, and this is when Captain America launched, right? So I, I think maybe there was a desensitization or maybe uh, people were just tired of communists being in every single story. And if you think about the adventures of Superman, I mean, that's not what they really talked about in the TV show, right? I, I, I don't, you probably watched those as a kid. I know I certainly watched the reruns as a kid and it was just crime mm-hmm. fighting, right? I mean, it was good old heroism. Without the constant red scare, um, uh, again banging of the drum. So I think maybe, maybe people were just not ready for a constant deluge of commie smasher stories, and maybe that's why it didn't gain traction. Yeah, so, I think. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I,
1: I think you're right. I mean, this this time period too. You know, there was a lot of other things going on. Um, you know, the Comics Code Authority started in 1954 right? Mm -hmm. Because they they wanted to make sure that uh, our youth were not uh, being corrupted, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And and what was the um, Seduction of the Innocent?
0: Right? Yeah, that came out in 54, I think.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, that book. Yeah, it came out in 1954 as well. um, Which was, you know, basically a, a warning that comic books were a negative form of of popular literature um, and, you know, it was causing juvenile delinquency. So I think, you know, during that time that that may have also played into it as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, and there's so much going on. Right. And it really is about reading the room and, and reading the market. And, you know, I mean, even Romita had said that, well, maybe people were were, you know, uh, upset about the Korean War, which, of course, went from 1950 to 1953 and thought that, you know, a lot of folks who read comics might have been upset about our involvement in that. And therefore, you know, lots of lots of things. You know, it's interesting to go back and and look at what was happening in the 50s and how Atlas Comics through these titles uh, tried to you know ride that wave and maybe they just got on the wave too late. You know if you look at the submariner title which which lasted for 10 issues. Um, only rarely did Namor go up against communists. They had all kinds of other stories. He had stories about Namor as a as a youth, they had stories about crime, he had adventure stories and only occasionally was there a story of him going up against communist agents. And so maybe it just you know, it, it resonated with more readers than than the Cap series was able to do because it was so singularly focused.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, you know, the when when a lot of times people come to comics, they come for escapism, right? So yeah. it, it's you know, if 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 the rest of the world is so ba- big and uh, focusing on you know the the Red Scare, and you, then you go to comics and it's just in your face, um, yeah, it may not be what you want and after a while may get a little old
0: right yeah it just seems repetitive after a while and in fact you know if you read through those 16 stories they do seem to be a bit repetitive it does yeah the people's faces change the names change but the stories they start to bleed into each other yeah so let's
1: do one right let's 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 cover one of the stories here um uh, let's do the hour of doom uh, which was in Captain America Comics number seventy-seven. What do you think?
0: Yeah, that's a good one. I think uh, that's probably one of the better ones. And uh, and Roy Thomas had something to say about that one, and, and I'll mention that after after we're done.
1: All right. Yeah, and I said I said Captain America Comics seventy-seven. Actually, it's seventy-eight.
0: Right. Uh, yeah. I think
1: it's the last story in in seventy-eight. So yeah, this is is this the last captain america story before he's brought back in avengers 4
0: it is yeah all right
1: so let's get to that another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This
1: one um, has a cover date of September of 1954, but actually got released May 19th. So just a, you know, a few months earlier. Um, on the cover, it has uh, a yellow background, so that way this... This red Captain America logo just bursts out and is very, very noticeable. And then we have a, a cap with his shield being um, hanging from his shoulder, lifting up this uh, Russian, uh, looks like some sort of officer, right? And he's t- about to toss him and he's on the on the hill and there's some Russian soldiers behind him firing. And then there is this, Green glowing figure, um, kind of looks like at first I thought it was radioactive, but um, but it looks more uh, electricity. And he's got a finger and he's zapping a bolt at the unprotected uh side of, of Cap as he's holding this soldier over his head. And it says, How much suspense and action can you stand? See Captain America defy the communist hordes. So there's a there's several stories in here. There's actually four stories. Um, the first one, and by the way, the cover is done by John Romita. So just wanted to throw that out there. Um, the first story we're we're not covering the first three, but it's uh, his touch is death, uh, written by Don Rico, pencils by John Romita. Um, the next one is the Green Dragon, also the same creators, um, and then also they're doing the the story we're doing the hour of doom and then there's this third story um, called playing with fire and that one is written by Hank Chapman and penciled by Dick Ayers so those are the four stories you can get in this comic uh, but we're going to cover the hour of doom all right so we we open it up and there is this and and it's only six pages but but it's really fully packed Bob there's there's so much going on in every every panel, lots of dialogue, lots of, uh, copy. Um, so there's not a ton of like splash pages, you know, it, it, it's, it's more about the story than I would say about the art. Um, but this first one does have a, like a two thirds page semi splash and it's essentially the, um, ending or close to the ending of of this story so it kind of starts off there to kind of see the what what peril uh cap and everyone else is in and then it cuts to you know how we got there right and we see captain america standing on the the hands of a gigantic clock that's inside a building and so he's it's it says three o'clock or is it two fifty-nine 59 and some many seconds uh, because he's he's standing on the the one pointing at the three and he's pushing against and trying to stop the minute hand from from reaching all the way so he's struggling against that and it's tick tock tick tock and in in the foreground you could see that there is uh, a camera crew watching him And there's a whole audience, and then there's a reporter, and everyone's nervous and sweating, and you see sweat, and you see a guy wiping his brow, and why are they sweating? Well, here we go. A new idol of American boys has risen to threaten the place of Captain America. There's a grim test between them, as the fate of a great city hangs in the balance. All the country watches on its TV screens and wonders which one will win, as they all await the hour of doom and the reporter who's looking at cap says he's reached a clock but can captain america stop it in half a second a bomb will set for three o'clock will explode and destroy the u.n building in this part of the city so then we cut to steve rogers and bucky barnes or We'll, we'll, for our purposes, we'll call him Bucky Barnes in here. Um, Steve uh, is sitting. The two of them are, are watching TV, and they are, as you said before, back in their army uniforms. Uh, but they're in a pretty nice place. Bob, you ever, you ever have a place like this all to yourself in the, uh, in, in the Marines?
0: Uh, you know, I like to think they're in a common room. Right, they're not in their necessarily in their quarters. Right, maybe this is like the common room.
1: All right, just the two of them though, yeah yeah right. and yeah. and I also point out that Bucky Barnes has kind of like a strawberry blonde colored hair. He doesn't have the dark hair that he used to have um before uh timely
0: Good catch
1: and Steve's sitting there and he's smoking a pipe
0: now Is you know that that was... that was common, right I mean yeah, that, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, to do that showed you uh, you were very uh, you know you you, you kind of had like a because he was you know he was a professor at one point right this particular Steve Rogers so you know it was a it was more of a, a distinguished look back then
0: you know it's interesting right because I mean even way back in the very beginning of the golden age Steve smoked a pipe uh, not a cigarette not cigars right which w- which would be much more common uh, in the army. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly among the ranks and yet uh the artists at uh, at uh, timely and of course here at atlas always drew him with a pipe
1: yeah and I, I think i was done on purpose right mm-hmm. because it, it did have mm-hmm. a different feel to it absolutely yeah so on the tv uh, we see an announcer i want to introduce the young man who has become the idol and hero of every american boy in the land star athlete and intelligent scholar. He has seized the imagination of our youth. Folks, here he is, the perfect sportsman, the idol of millions. And we're expecting them to say Captain America, right? Even though they're watching there. But he says, Chuck Blaine. And then there's a close-up of, uh, of this, this man in a, in a suit. Now, Chuck Blaine kind of sounds a little bit like a John Wayne. It does, actually,
0: right? Yeah. I yeah.
1: Mean, John Wayne was a, a household name back in this time period, right?
0: Yeah, he sure was. Yeah, with the beginning with Stagecoach, his uh, his first appearance, which I think was, I can't remember, back in the mid-40s, maybe, early, yeah, yeah. maybe, roughly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but certainly by then, he was, uh, he was a household name.
1: Don't worry, Steve. Captain America's still my idol. I know, Bucky, but Chuck Blaine's really caught on, hasn't he? And how? He's got a following of boys who swear by his every word. Listen, he's going to talk. Boys of America, this is Chuck Blaine, telling you that the future belongs to you. The world is what you make it, and it's your job to make it a perfect place into which to live. So, keep your minds clean and your bodies strong. Work hard and play hard, and above all, play to win. Gosh, he's terrific. The guys will do anything he tells him, Steve. Hmm. Reminds me of someone. Later that day, at a secret rendezvous, a meeting takes place. And so we have uh, this, I guess, guy sitting uh, at his desk. He's leaning back. He's wearing a suit. He's uh, bald. He um, looks a little ogreish, you know, kind of, you know.
0: Like an early version, uh, a smaller version of Kingpin in many ways, right? yeah, yeah and visually.
1: yeah, and he's he's putting his fingertips together, you know, to represent that he is considering something. Comrade, you have done a fine job all these years. The time has now come to culminate all that work. You will put your skill to the great and final test. Are you ready? I am ready, comrade. Good. Everything you've done has led to this end. You cannot fail because what you say is believed by every boy in America. They worship you, think you're perfect in every way. That's right, comrade. And now I'm ready to finish my work by destroying the faith of the youth and world cooperation as exemplified in the United Nations. Who is it, Bob? Oh, my God. It's Chuck Blaine. Fine, comrade Chuck Blaine. Just fine. So the stage is set for one of the worst betrayals since the days of Benedict Arnold. The next day is the visitor's gallery of the United Nations Assembly. The grim curtain rises on the drama. So we're in uh, in here in the United Nations, and we see that big clock, Bob. That huge sure. clock, yeah. right, above the stage. And the there are, um, you know... It, How is the U.N. set up, Bob? Like, yeah, can you describe that?
0: Right. Well, there's the General Assembly, right, which is the main body of of the United Nations, where every nation on Earth who is a signatory to the United Nations has a representative. And then, of course, there's the Security Council, which has uh, the I think the, the five permanent members. And then there are additional rotating members. And and they're sort of the executive committee of the United Nations. But what we see here is the General Assembly. And and you can see that it is a very large auditorium with that clock uh, up above. But there's also uh, it looks to be hundreds, if not thousands of people jammed into the General Assembly, not only on the on the floor. Right. The floor seating, but but up in uh, the upper seating as well above where that clock is. So there's a lot of folks jammed in here.
1: Yeah, a a ton. And, And we hear a voice from up above. One minute. I have something to say. What? Who's that? Why, it's Chuck Blaine. Well, Chuck Blaine himself. Boys of America, listen to me. You know I always speak the truth. Now I tell you that world cooperation is a falsehood. Friendship among nations is not possible. I have placed a bomb in this building, a bomb that will blow up the U.N. and part of New York. I want you to realize that the U.N. is powerless against a stronger power. Too paralyzed with shock to move, the crowd of spectators and U.N. officials alike listened to the Hour of Doom forecast by Chuck Blaine. Yes, the U.N. is a farce. World Brotherhood is a farce. You boys must allow one stronger than you to lead you. The U.N. will be destroyed in one hour. I call upon all the boys of the country to follow me in my fight to show that World Brotherhood cannot succeed and the U.N. is a failure. The next instant, he is seized by guards. Alert TV men train their cameras on him, and the scene is carried throughout the country. Have you gone crazy, Mr. Blaine? Crazy, eh? I tell you, this building will blow up in an hour. And the boys who hear and see the strange scene wonder. There's a couple of young lads watching the TV. Gosh, if Chuck says so, he must be right. Still, it seems funny blowing up the UN and part of the city. And then we cut to Steve and Bucky driving in the car in the their their uh what do you call it? That's not dress uniform, is it?
0: Well, it's, it's like your, uh you know, your, your uh, service, service, everyday uniform, right? Yeah, so yeah, it's a yeah. you know, and, and normally you'd wear like, you know, sateens or the camouflage utilities. They didn't have camouflage back then, but they wore their greens during the day. But this is sort of like their, their everyday working uniform.
1: The paper said Chuck Blaine would attend the UN session today. Imagine seeing him in person. Gosh, hurry, Steve. Seems like a lot of excitement around the UN today. Steve, look, it's Chuck, and they got him handcuffed. Time here, boys, and watch him. Excitement's right. Let's find out what this is all about, Steve. Sure, but as we are, we'll never get through the police lines, so we change to Captain America and Bucky. So they are jumping out of the car in their uniforms. Uh, The only difference was back then, too, was bucky in addition to his hair being a different color his collar was a different color in this case it's yellow
0: right yeah very very common in a lot of the golden age comics uh, for the collar to be yellow why is that i don't know i don't know why they changed it if it was just you know a, a coloring anachronism or 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 what uh, whether it was intentional or not i don't think it was i think it was probably just the lack of paying attention to consistency
1: In a few seconds, the police tell Cap the story. I thought he reminded me of someone, but we can get to him later. First, we've got to locate the bomb. It's a cinch he won't tell us where it is, so we've got to find it. Right, let's go. If what that madman says is true, the danger to the city is great, but what's worse is the effect that he'll have on the boys who idolize him. If they believe him, it looks bad. Right. Plus the fact there's no time to evacuate everyone from this part of the city. We've got to find that bomb. The police scour the building, ripping out anything that could hide a bomb, and the clock ticks on to the hour of doom. Bob, maybe you could do the the tick-tock when it comes up.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: It is a special effect, after all. Fair enough. Tough. so then we cut to uh, them just they're growing through the walls or ripping things down they're really making a, a mess of everything but outside you see chuck blaine with his he's handcuffed to a pole and then the camera crew is on him haha <laughs> don't try to fight it it's hopeless you see boys your officials are so weak they can't even protect the city from one little bomb give up the u.n let each country have peace or war as it wishes. Panic spreads as people try to leave the city. Roads are jammed. Trains break down. Crowds m- mill wildly at the airports. Who can tell how devastating will be the blast of the bomb? And there is. It's, it's, it's mayhem in the city as people try to escape. The guards use radar equipment to try to, track, to trace down the bomb, but it's no use. Tension grows with each tick of the clock. Their faces sweat and grow pale as death draws near. Tick tock. And I, I will point out that, um, yes, the police and uh, other people around, they do have sweat, beads of sweat coming down their face. It's quite obvious, uh, you know, that John Rometta here is just trying to to really push the fact, but I don't see that on Cap's face.
0: He simply looks determined, right? Yeah.
1: Captain, it's just no use. We got, he's got us licked. It's a quarter to three. Wait, there must be something. There's got to be. I've got it. If it's a time bomb, it'll make a ticking sound. Shut off the electricity in the building so that the clocks will stop. Then we may hear it. Cap's order is followed and... Cap, I hear it. And he's got his ear down to a uh, a grate in the floor. And it's tick, making tick, tick! Tick! Gingerly, carefully, Cap lifts the death box out of the ventilator. Whew! Thank goodness that's over. The danger is past, but her work isn't over. Blaine's got to talk. The boys can't go on believing he's a great big hero. He's a red spy, and we've got to prove it. Keep quiet about our finding the bomb, and I'll do the rest. So he grabs the handcuffed Chuck Blaine and pulls him in back into the building. Where are you taking me? Inside, to make sure you die with the bomb. Unless you tell us the real reason behind all this. I've told the real reason, and I'm not afraid to die. It'll prove to the boys of America that I'm willing to die to prove I'm right about the worthlessness of the U.N. You've got four minutes, Blaine. I, I don't care. What is my life? Compared to the cause of truth. Three minutes, Blaine. Uh, I'm not afraid to die. You're just jealous because I've taken your place in the hearts of boys. Two and a half minutes. I, I. One minute. One minute to death, Blaine. I'll talk. Uh, Get me out of here. Talk first. Fast. Why did you do this? Because I work for the Reds. It's all a communist plot. I set two bombs one in the ventilator and and one in that clock. What? And it's the only clock still going. It's got a sealed generator. We can't stop it. I've got 30 seconds. Cap, come back. It's no use. And he jumps up onto the clock, as we saw in the original panel to the story. And then you see uh, a reporter there with a microphone who also has... A lot of sweat beads.
0: <laughs> Pouring off them, of right.
1: We're sticking by to bring you the grim story, if it's the last thing we do. Captain America's rushed right into the jaws of death, ready to die to save us. He's only got a matter of seconds, but what a difference between him and the blubbering coward, Chuck Blaine. He's reached the clock, but what's he going to do now? How can he stop it? How can he get the bomb out in time? Tick tock. Wait, he's holding back the minute hand. He stopped the clock, using only the strength of his powerful body. He stopped it at the very last second. Find the bomb. Get it out. Hurry. Tick, caw, tick, tap. While Captain America strains to keep the minute hand from making its last fatal move, Bucky and the others hurry to look out for the bomb. Top. Tick. Top. We've got the box, Cap. Hold on. Hurry, little partner. Hurry. Okay, got it. Hey, look at Chuck. Cracked up completely. Now the boys will see who the real hero in Idol is Captain America. Cap, when you said he reminded you of someone, who was it? Hitler. Same words quote, strong minds and strong bodies, and play to win. America's play not to win, necessarily, but for the sake of good sportsmanship and fair play, which Nazis and Reds know nothing about at all.
0: The end. And really, it is the end, right? Uh, The end of (laughs) Captain America in the Atomic Age. Indeed. Yeah, Rick. I, I said earlier uh, that Roy Thomas had something to say about this story, which was one of his favorites from this period. But and he he saw Cap standing up there trying to hold back the hands of time as as a bit of a metaphor for uh, this relaunch of the golden age superheroes in the 1950s. That in fact Cap was trying to hold back the hands of time, and ultimately, while he succeeded in the stories, he failed in the sense of of holding back the time on the death of the golden age superheroes again in the 1950s. Uh, And we wouldn't see them again for almost another 10 years.
1: Yeah. And and, uh, I hope we do get Roy on the show um, because it would be fun to talk to him about how, you know, he was such a a, a lover and student of this era and how he honored it when he, you know, brought back the invaders and, and, uh how you know his stories uh and him also being the editor you know um helped kind of shape some of these ideas of how to to retcon i mean roy roy is right up there with you know the king of retcons when it when it comes to kind of explaining some of these stories so um yeah it'd be great to have him on
0: right you know and engelhardt himself had had said that that roy had uh had sort of given the direction and, and some of the broad ideas for, for the retcon of William Burnside and Jack Monroe as uh, the cap and Bucky of the 1950s.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it would be, it would be a coup to, to have a chance to, to talk to him for sure. what did you think of the story, Rick?
1: Um, I mean, it was very much a, a, a period piece. Right? Yeah. Right. Uh, it, you know, so taking, taking it for what it's worth Um, you know, it, I, I guess I always try to look for the positives, right? I mean, it showed Steve in a good light um, as someone who was calm, cool, and collected. Uh, he did not show any signs of jealousy towards Chuck Blaine being, you know, the new uh, apple of the of the boys' eyes, right? And and followed mm-hmm. uh, religiously. So he, you know, there was no hint of jealousy anywhere. Um, and he was a man of action. Uh, he used his smarts when it came to trying to find out, uh, what was really behind everything. Uh, so I thought it did Steve in a, in a good light. So I, I, I appreciated that as well.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a student of history, Rick. I mean, I, uh, I you know, and, and you know that I, I recently acquired a copy of, of Captain America uh, 76, the mm-hmm. first Tommy smasher issue. Um, I'm fascinated with uh, with history and, and particularly fascinated with this time period. And so you're right. You got to read these stories through, you know, understanding the context of, of the time. And from that perspective, they really do offer a window into um sort of the the public psyche, right? The social, cultural milieu of the time and what was going on. And uh, if you look back at it now with, you know, uh, 21st century eyes, it does seem odd. You know, the writing seems odd. The the language seems odd. But certainly at the time, you know, they were speaking to fears that were very, very common uh, in the public mind.
1: You know, and you just made somebody some listener really happy because he had the word milieu on his, his, uh, his bingo card. And and you just, (laughs) you, he finally, finally got that checked Uh, on.
0: Yeah. I was going to say with a French accent, but I thought that might be too much.
1: Uh, no, let's hear it. I, let's hear it. Oh, very nice. That didn't come across pretentious at all.
0: No, not at all. <laughs> well, I'm glad we had a chance to, you know, to cover one of these 50 stories, Rick. It's not something we should do all the time for sure, uh, because they are a little bit uh, similar uh, as I, as I mentioned earlier, but it yeah. is a window into history, right? It really is.
1: Yeah. No, thanks for suggesting and, and putting together uh, these notes. Uh, it was it was fun kind of going through that uh, and, and checking off something that we don't normally do. Okay. So as I mentioned, beginning of the show, next episode, come back because we're going to do our two-year anniversary show. We have a listener Q&A. Uh, that should be a lot of fun. Then we're going to go fast forward in the time machine. Uh, the following episode, we're going to do... Uh, a one-shot called Captain America, The End. Uh, did you ever read that?
0: You know, I, I thought I hadn't, but I, I, I refreshed myself just recently. And I said, oh, yeah, I, I had read that. So uh, it's been a few years. When well, it came it out, out in I
1: 2020. Yeah, yeah, it came
0: out in 2020. So, um, But yeah, I think it'd be fun to do that one again. Yeah, it was written
1: and drawn by Eric Larson, um, which... People probably uh, know is one of the founders of Image Comics and had a long history of Marvel before he went off to Image and doing Savage Dragon and Mm -hmm. and a lot of other things. Um, So uh, but he he's a big you could tell he's a big fan of Jack Kirby because there's a lot of of that influence. Uh, in in this, that issue. So, so we'll, we'll do the two year anniversary next episode, and then we'll come back and do cap the end because what, what better way to finish off the year 2022 other than with cap the end.
0: Nicely done. Yes, absolutely.
1: All right, Bob, as always, it's been so much fun wrapping cap with you.
0: Can't wait for the next time.
1: All right. He's Bob Lucius. I'm Rick Verbanas, and you have been listening to another episode of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast.